foot paste and delay creates. As runners and endurance athletes, hey, triathletes and cyclists, we all love knowing what you should do. But sometimes it's nice to look at the inverse. Inverse just means opposite. In the context of running and training, knowing what isn't good for you is just as effective as knowing what is. Find out the top 10 things a runner should not do on this episode of Trees and D-Lake. Don't master a lot. Don't master a little. Just stay in the middle. Don't master all. Don't master none. Just be a master of some. What is up? Welcome to Trees and D-Lake, a podcast series by Mike Trees and yours truly, Darren D-Lake Creates. In this series, our goal is to educate and entertain smart and committed runners. A bit more on that from Mike Trees. And the aim of this podcast is to give, in a lighthearted, amusing and entertaining way, hints and tips to help you all run better and enjoy your sporting life more. So let's see how we can go with that. Mike's being pretty modest. He has over 50 years of running and doing triathlons under his belt. And if you're wondering about me, I've been in the endurance sport game for about 25 years now, done a sub three hour marathon and completed an Ironman triathlon in 10 hours. We appreciate all the help and support that we can get. So if you can, please share out this episode to someone that you know that would like this. Oh, quick language warning. In some rare instances, we might use some bad words. So apologies in advance for that. The point of this episode is not to embarrass anyone, but to get you to think more about what you're doing by, again, looking at the opposite of what is good, the inverse. This is what Mike Trees calls training smarter. What you'll learn in this episode, the top 10 things runners should not do. We won't tease this and hide this from you, but just listen to the rest of the episode to find out more. One, runners ignore pain. If it hurts, stop. Two, skip your warm up and cool down. Three, never stretch. Four, expect a PB slash PR at every race. Please stop doing that. I actually did that when I first started. Five, follow a training plan to the letter, to the exact. Six, start off a race too fast. Seven, not rest enough. I used to do that. Eight, go too hard on easy days. I used to do that when I first started running. Nine, put off your recovery meal. And 10, runners love to obsess over numbers and data. So listen on to the rest of the episode to find out more about each thing. So how many of these mistakes do you make? What did we miss? Let us know in the socials. We want to keep this a two-way street. Let's get into the episode. Hey, Mike, how's it going? How's your, how's your training going this week? It's going good, uh, but uh, as you know, the more I train, the more I sleep. So <laughs> the amount of time I've got left to do other things is getting less and less. But it's all good. It's all good. And how's it with you? Me, uh, finally getting back into the groove. I decided to do a after being sick and getting vaccinations and all that stuff. So I decided to do a an interesting thing, which is maintain my fitness from three weeks ago. And I'm doing like 60, 75% volume, keeping the intensity the same, but dropping on the volume so that I can slowly recover into what I need to do. Um, it's going well. So we'll see how that goes. You've just reminded me, maintaining 16 weeks, three to four times a week, 30 to four minutes of aerobic exercise has been shown. You can probably maintain your fitness for up to 16 weeks without much loss. You won't go forward and you won't make any gains, but if you just need to tread water, there's a hint. You know, you don't need to do as much as you think you do. 
Yeah, that's a, that's a good study. You spoke about that in, I think, the last episode we talked about. Um, it's good to know. I was, I was trying to maintain my same fitness, which gets a bit trickier because I was quite fit. And, and ready for the 5K. So um, I, I'm, I'm doing something I haven't really done before, but I feel like I'm experienced enough. So um, speaking of things that runners shouldn't do, I know you've got the 10, 10 top tips on that. Warm up complete. Yeah, I, I like to do things in the positive, what you should do. But I think once in a while, uh, it's important because people just do too much. Uh, and so I thought... Uh, it, it was a good attention grabber. I put it on Instagram uh, and it was one of my most popular uh, posts. So I think it's a good thing to discuss because I think there's a lot of people out there interested in what they shouldn't, shouldn't do. Speaking of what they shouldn't do, let's start with number one. They shouldn't ignore pain. If it hurts, stop. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a basic ruler of life. And people say, I've got this niggle, I've got an ankle injury, I've got this. I don't like to advise on Instagram on injuries. And I don't like to do that. I like to send, even in my, my training and my coaching, I want to send people to professionals. You know, I'm a professional coach, running triathlon coach. I can advise on that. But I like to push people to, to people with more experience. So, for example, with the weight training, I push them to my son if I can, because he knows more than I do, even though I know a little bit about it. With uh, injuries, yeah, send them to a, to a physio, an osteopath, a chiropractic, you know, whoever is the specialist that they need to see. Uh, and I don't try and get into that area. Uh, and what they do is they come and say, I've got this little niggling injury. It's been hurting for two or three weeks now. Can I run through it? What they want is they want me to basically agree with them that it's okay to run, even though it's not. Uh, and that's the bottom line. Uh, and I have to turn around and say, no, if it hurts, stop. Having said that, there are two different kinds of pain. There's that pain when you're running and you're pushing towards a PB at the end of a 5K. And then everything just sort of aches. It's that numbing, aching of the body saying, hey, slow down. That's different from an actual you putting your foot on the ground and getting some excruciating pain in your lower back or your knee or your hamstring, for example. Those are different kinds of joint and muscle pains. So my general rule is, yes, if it hurts, stop. And one thing I'd like to add on to that is one slight variation. Often you get DOMS, which is delayed onset of muscle soreness. These get more as we get older. But if you're getting DOMS and you wake up in the morning and things ache a little bit, go for a five, 10 minute jog walk. And if all the pains ease up as you're walking into and it's just a, a, you know fatigue from the day before and after 10 minutes, it's all gone, then yeah, you're good to go. Uh, that's sort of one little exception that, that I you know like to mention because sometimes it is just a bit of fatigue left over from the day before. So just go out 10 minutes, very easy, gentle, if you're not sure. Uh, and if it's getting better as you're warming up, then continue with caution. Great point on the DOMS. And I do get some sometimes people asking me, you know, oh, your, your strength plyometric routine, will that help this thing? I literally just got that the other day. And the first thing I say, just like you, is, look, you know, I don't know anything about your history and I'm not a specialist in whatever your your injury is. So I'm going to make sure to, or sorry, I always say, make sure, you know, take my, my information with a grain of salt. It's just general information. Make sure you go to a specialist and get that sorted. Don't, you know, Google more stuff. And, you know, like, like you said, they're probably just waiting for confirmation. On to number two, do not skip your warm up or cool down. That's what a lot of people do, right? Well, we're all busy. Uh, and I, you know, as, as people who listen to this podcast will find, I famously say, if you haven't got an extra hour to sleep at night, don't do the training. 
you can you can discuss you know that later but it's the same with the warm-up if you haven't got the time to do the warm-up and the cool down you haven't really got time to do the full session they are part of the session and yes in warm hot climates you can do a less of a warm-up uh, and less of a cool down because your muscles already are warm. The colder it is, the more of a warm up you need. But the point is, we need to get the heart rate raised. Uh, we need to get the muscles warmed up and we need to get some functional movement in the body so that you can actually go through the range of movements that you'll need in the, in, in the training session. So yeah, don't skip the warm up and cool down and don't use time as an excuse. If time's an excuse, you've got to just cut the whole thing down in time or, or skip the session. It's kind of like meditation. Uh, it, there's a there's a saying. It, it's you know people are like I don't have time to meditate. It's like if you don't have 20 minutes to meditate, then you need two hours to meditate. It's kind of that whole you know I, I don't have I don't have five minutes to meditate. It's just like no, you need to then create more time to then do that because your life is so out of control. And I'd say the same as with warm up and cool down. I like that. Number three, never stretch. That's one thing that mistake. Another mistake. Correct. Never stretching. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So never stretching. Now, I get a lot of people saying stretching has been proven not to help performances uh, and it's a waste of time. Uh, and it's probably one of the most contentious things that, you know, a lot of people say, yeah, I love stretching. I've got to stretch. And other people say this is absolute. And then they say BS and they get really aggressive saying you don't need to stretch. It's been proven. It's meaningless. Well, let's take it to the, uh, the nth degree. What happens is stretching and dynamic movements is to create the range of movements you need to do the activity you're going to do. So if you get stiffer over time, and as we get older, muscles get tighter and the training will tighten things up and stiffen them up, and you haven't got the range of movement you need, things will give, something will give and snap. And yeah, you're probably going to get injured. Now, I'm not saying it's guaranteed you're going to get injured. And there are examples of people who've never stretched that run really well. They just happen to have the right body type to get through the movements they need but most of us need to stretch and and i know for an example for a fact that if i don't stretch and loosen up uh, and get physio on my back and my muscles and things i can't do the activities if i do then i'm good to go i can keep training quite happily uh, and so yes you've got to stretch and make time to do a little bit of dynamic movements before you start to get the range of movement that you'll need and afterwards to uh, stop yourself from stiffening up too much uh, and to keep the, the range of movement. And before we say dynamic movements, which is large, slow movements, uh, and afterwards it's okay to do static movements where you hold a stretch for, say, 10 to 15 seconds, relax, then hold it a little bit more. Uh, and the reason that we don't like to do the static before we do the exercises, it's been shown that that actually slightly weakens the tendons and the ligaments before loosening them. So if you loosen them, obviously, they're not going to work as efficiently and you'd be more prone to injury during a session. So that's why we do that after the session when you, you've got a good night's sleep to recover before you do another training session. That, that's a great point about dynamic before static stretching after and i actually i incorporate stretching two to three times static stretching so i, I technically stretch four times a day i do a dynamic before my workouts which is usually in the morning then i do a static stretch after um usually mostly hips my hips are very tight they've always been tight my whole life um or at least in my adult life as i've gotten to endurance sports so I do a lot of hip stretching and mm. what I called stretching, it actually found out from a, a physical therapist, the physio here, um, it's hip mobility that I'm actually doing. And the mm. difference between mobility and flexibility is uh, mobility is when you stretch something to its limit 
and it's the strength that you have when it's stretched to its point. So um, I, I got that confused for a while, and it's basically like the range of movement that you have at the at the end yep. of. And for for hips, there's a lot of different hip stuff you can do. The pigeon pose, and you know, there's that one yep. kind of no one can see this. It's a podcast. That one stretch with your kind of the lunge, <laughs> and then the arm over. Um, but if you really feel your your hips, and you feel your your upper hamstrings, and you feel your what else? The quads. You feel your your glutes and all that. Um, and that's my hip hip range mobility that I'm working on. And you know, it is static stretching. But I think a lot of people I think a lot of people think of static stretching as you know sitting there stretching your hamstrings. And um, that's debatable. We won't go down that rabbit hole. I, I personally don't stretch my hamstrings. I found out that that hurts me. And uh, most people, that actually, especially runners, you don't need to stretch your hamstrings if they're tight and they're sore. You probably need to strengthen them. But that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about uh, with the mistakes that runners make, um, which actually could have been number 11. Add break. This episode is brought to you by Energy Coaching, which is Mike Tree's coaching service. Mike and his team of coaches work with beginners to pros and all levels in between. No one is too fast and no one is too slow. They just want a desire to learn and improve. They focus on 1500 meter races to marathon running and triathlon training. Energy coaching is constantly overbooked. So Instagram and this new podcast venture, Trees and D Lake, gives Mike and the rest of his energy coaching team a way to reach out to more people and help them. Contact Mike and his team at the letters NRG-coaching.com or go to the link in the show notes. And back to the show. But uh, let's get back to number four. So number four, expect a personal best at every race. Yeah, I think it's the American say PR, personal record. P P PR, yeah, yeah. We we've got a mixed audience, so PR, PB, it's interchangeable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so I mean, take it to, to my age. I mean, I'm, you know, knocking on 60 next year. I'm never going to get another PB. Let's be realistic. I'm getting slower. So a lot of people move on when they think they can't get a PB and they, they burn out. But there's other ways of getting enjoyment out of running. So, you know, for me, I look at age graded at times. So as I get older, I can actually produce uh, a time relative to other people. Uh, but the, the point of the thing is not expect a PB is that you're not going to get faster in a, in a linear line. It's not going to go straight up. It's stepped and even it, it, it regresses. So you, you do a, a good time, then you train a little harder. What you've done by training harder, you've made yourself more tired, which ultimately will make you fitter and stronger. But in the short term, it, it'll make you, you know, fatigued. So you then go to your next race and your time slower. And a lot of people get really depressed. Oh, I was running so much quicker three or four months ago. Uh, and they just don't understand the process. So, so long as you know the process that you won't get quicker in a straight line, it won't just go up, you know, sort of 20 minutes, 1950, 1940, you know, if we're doing 5k times and that's your goal. It, it might be that, hey, I've just done a 1950 and you feel really good. The next time you go out, it's 2035. Oh, accept that. That's just your body just assimilating everything and it takes time. So, uh, yeah, it won't be a straight line. Uh, and expect that, understand that, and you won't be stressed out about it. All right, number six, start a race off too fast. Never start off a race too fast. Now, I get arguments saying, ah, yes, but the only way to get a, a PB in an 800 meters is to do the first lap quicker than the second lap. Uh, it's, it's debatable, uh, and there's pros and cons with it. There are exceptions to the rule. 
But in essence, if you go too fast, you're going above your threshold, your lactic threshold. So you're building up lactate in the in the blood. You, what you're doing is your body is going to struggle to get the oxygen to the muscles. So what I say is, if you understand the process, it's much better to start off aerobically and save that burst at the end where the lactic comes in till the end, uh, because after once you built it up, it's not going to go away in a race. So you go out hard, you build the lactate, you don't get as much oxygen as normal, and instead of running your five thousand meters in twenty five minutes that you normally do, you go out at four minutes the first kilometer and end up doing you know six k's for the rest. It's much better actually to go out at your five minute pace at the start and then the last two build it up to 434 and leave all that lactic right till the end uh, when you, you don't have anything else to come after it. It's a, it's a much better strategy. Uh, and you see in marathon people negative splitting. It, it's quite a common way of running. I mean, when you get really good, like a, a Kipchoge, you just put a, a, a split of 5K in the middle and destroy everyone because your threshold's much higher than everyone else. But still, technically, he, he, he sort of tends to run faster towards the end, he, he, you know, or, or maintain a constant pace. The ideal is actually is to run right at the threshold all the way with a slight sprint at the end. But it's so hard to get it right, right on the line, even for, for top class runners. So I always say just hold it back a little bit at the start and gradually build up. Yeah, that is easier said than done uh, for a lot of people. <laughs> and, and, you know, myself included, yeah. where b because of my anaerobically gifted genes, um, you know, and, and I'm not saying that to brag or boast, but the other side is I don't have, oh, sorry, um, yeah, I'm anaerobically gifted where, you know, again, 400, 800s, I can smash out. So the start of a race, that first minute or two, it feels, because I'm, you know, the adrenaline, I'm racing it, it feels, I'm like, oh, I'm going slow. And that lactate will build up and will cause me drama in the next four to five minutes if I don't, you know, look at my watch. So that's where I really uh, perceived effort and, and what I'm actually doing are two different things in the race. I'm all jacked up on caffeine. You know, there's someone around me. You know, it's just the excitement of the race and all that. Uh, so I think a lot of people have to learn that. I had to learn that. I always go, whatever I'm doing, I need to go slower. And that took me a long time to learn. And I'm like, whatever I'm doing, I need to go slower. And every time I look down, I'm like, yep, I'm going too fast. And it still feels slow. But uh, yeah, that, you'll pay for that. In a 5K, you'll pay for that within 10 minutes and, you know, marathons and, and half marathons and all that. I like to do 400s on the track. And uh, if you said to me, Mike, count to 70, couldn't do it. But if you say to me, run around that track in 70 seconds, I could do it. So I could then say to someone, as long as I have a 400 meter running track, I can tell you when 70 seconds is. I can tell you when 71 seconds is. I can tell you when 75 seconds is. My body knows the pace. And, and I like to do that constantly, run around, I'll aim to do 75s, I'll finish, I'll look at the watch, yeah, 75.5, 74.8 or whatever. Uh, uh, and I like to do that. Not so much at the moment with what I'm doing with training, but, you know, it's, it's quite a regular thing that I love to get on the track just to check that the pacing's there. And it's a great technique for people to practice, you know, running the 400s at their race pace and just getting used to it and thinking what it feels like, what it feels like, because, you know, I've seen it, you know, people going off, you know, they're, they're aiming for 20 minutes, they go off 3K for the first kilometre, and I just say, yep, that's the race over. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we need to learn pacing. Don't go off too fast. Yeah, the track is a, a beautiful place. And 
I, I wish they had more tracks here. Um, the track here, unfortunately, opens up at, at 3 p.m., and my training just doesn't do well in the afternoons, and it's only Monday through Thursday, and the other track that's open in the mornings is only open on the weekends, and the weekends don't. So, yeah, I, I love the track, and every time I can get to the track, which is once a month when COVID's not happening, um, I always try to, you know, properly get the workouts in and make sure that my internal pace clock is is reset because yeah like you i i knew what an 80 was i knew what a 70 was i knew what a 35 second 200 was um and i feel like i'm slowly losing that because i haven't been on the track that much but uh let's get back to it so number five oh sorry number six is a mistake that people make because I, every time i'm reading these i always keep wanting to read them as a, a, a positive but i have to remember yeah. it's a negative yeah, don't make these mistakes. Uh, yeah. a mistake that people make so number six they follow the training plan exactly how it is so tell me more about that so a training plan, uh, I actually like this one from the, uh, the Pirates Code, from the Pirates of the Caribbean. It's more like guidelines than an actual rule or a plan. So uh, you have a guideline that you, you follow. Without the guideline, you can just drift off into no, no man's land. But you don't, it's not a rigid plan. I mean, we do sleep in, we do work late, we do have family problems, work issues, we get sick, we get stronger. Sometimes you think, yeah, it's good to add a little bit extra on. Sometimes it's good to add a little bit, take a little bit off. Uh, I like to be flexible with my training plans. It's, it's a guideline to get people going in the right direction. But the bottom line is you have to listen to your body and you have to be practical. And that's where a coach comes in that, you know, I, I coach a lot of people. But actually, it's, it's my wife that's my coach in that sense. She'll look at me and she'll say, what would you say to Johnny if he was going to go out training today? And I said, oh, I'll probably tell him not to. She, say, she looks at me and she says, okay, I'm taking a rest day. So yeah, those are the sort of things that you have to be flexible with the plan. Uh, and you need someone. It might be a really good friend. It might be a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a relative, an experienced runner in the club. Someone that you can just discuss and try and come up with a rational answer. Because again, going back to the, the first point of, of people, I've got this pain. Can I run through it? You don't want someone who's just going to agree with you to push you on to more and more. Sometimes you need someone to look you in the eye and say, you need to rest, mate. So, yeah, don't follow it to the T. Be flexible. What would Mike Trees do? Actually, no. It's what would what would Mike Trees clients do? That's what, what I say. You need to have that on, like, <laughs> yeah. have that on a yeah. <laughs> on a band at all times. All right, we've got number seven. This is your favorite. People don't get enough rest. Okay, so my standard answer is seven hours sleep a night and uh, one hour extra for each hour of training. Uh, and I know that you badger me. If I've done a long session, you'll say to me, hey, Mike, you need to sleep 12 hours sleep tonight. And my reply is, yep, it's eight o'clock and I'm in bed. <laughs> this is a true story. This is a conversation we actually had. <laughs> yeah, so the, the point was, you. I'd actually, you know, done, I'm training for Ironman. I'd done uh, a five and a half hour session. So you had five hours onto seven, it's 12 hours. So I was in bed at eight. And actually, I didn't quite get the full... 12 hours because I woke up at seven and I was ready to go and I felt good uh, and so I got out of bed at seven but I had 11 hours sleep so a lot of people think I'm making this stuff up but no I wake up the next day having a really good sleep and I feel great if you haven't got the time to train uh, to sleep you don't do the extra training so uh, rest yep yeah. seven hours is the base and one hour extra and I know a lot of people are really busy and can't do this what I'm saying is again going back to the guidelines 
if you've been getting by on six hours, five hours sleep for years and years, yeah, obviously going up to 12 hours it is going to knock the body. But you've just got to think about it. And can you get a little bit extra? It might be unrealistic to get up to 12 like someone like me. Uh, but you might be able to squeeze in a bit extra and just think whenever you're doing a longer session, you need more rest. That's the bottom line. I, I do it as a, almost as a shock headline just to shock people how much rest they actually need. Uh, and that's the main point. Most adults are not getting enough sleep and that's what's holding them back in their training and their racing. To piggyback on that, let's say someone like me who I, I've, I've done some sleep studies, I've done some experiments myself as far as sleep, and I found out that I need a little bit less sleep than most people to function correctly. And the sleep studies have backed this up and just long-term uh, sleep tracking analytics. So, and I'm not saying like I can operate on five hours. I need, I can operate on seven hours and I'm doing well. So my base is probably around six and a half. So after a 45 minute hour training day, I can operate on seven, seven, 15, right? So, and, and I'm perfectly functional. I'll come back the next day. I'm healthy. My sleep cycles are, my sleep cycles are shorter than other people. Um, but I can't sleep past eight and a half. Like if I have a really big training day, I get to eight and a half hours, my body wakes me up. You know, I haven't done Ironman training in a few years. So I haven't done a five hour bike ride followed by a one hour run in going on four years, five years from now. Uh, maybe when I get back to it in a few years, I might be sleeping 12 hours, but I know my body wakes me up at eight and a half hours. And that seems to be, you know, I don't train more than an hour and a half, two hours anyway. So I'm getting the amount of sleep when I'm tired. Let's say I need to get 12 hours of sleep or 11 hours or whatever. Would a nap later in the day count or a nap after just, training like what do, do the do the naps count yeah well again I, i've just read the same studies that you've read in that sense that essence that it see some people will argue that a, a good nap where it's sort of 90 minutes where you go into REM sleep you get the deep sleep REM wake up again and come naturally out of it in the cycle it is very effective when i was racing uh at pro as a as, well not pro as, as an elite runner back in the the 20s uh, and, and at university, this is when I first started. And our coach, George Gandhi, who coached Sebastian, yeah, he coached all the top world athletes. Uh, he would always recommend that we go back to bed in the afternoon. So we do a morning session and we'd go back to bed for a couple of hours in the afternoon. I mean, we were university students, so <laughs> nobody knew we were, <laughs> weren't studying. It was, it was doable back then. Uh, but most people, it's not, uh, that doable. I mean, the Spanish do it. They have the siesta. Uh, there are cultures that do sleep. I do think that it does help. But having said that, I'm open for debate on this because I don't nap anymore. I get longer sleeps at night and I find that I'm good to go throughout the day. So I like to get up. I like to now, instead of doing my training morning and evening, I just like to get it all done. I get up in the morning. I function best in the morning. And I just go, if it's, it's triathlon training, for example, I'll do a swim, I'll do a bike, and then it's all done. Or I'll do a run, I'll do some weights, it's all done. I like to do it all in one block and then get on to what I call the real world things, the, the coaching, uh, making this podcast, uh, you know, all, all the other stuff that, that goes with life and the family uh, and living. Uh, and, and I don't need to, to nap anymore. But uh, yeah, if you're getting a nap, it cuts down what you need at night uh, as well. That's a, that's a good point, and I'll, I'll we'll move past this one. But the the I've started focusing on more sleep, and all I needed was you know seven and a half hours, seven forty five um, to go. I was going from six forty five to seven forty five, and that was such a big difference that when I get seven forty five, seven hours and forty five minutes of sleep on a a moderate to hard training day. I feel phenomenal. I don't need the nap. 
And it goes to say it goes to show exactly what you said is true. And you know, when I get six forty five, and which is my bare minimum, and I do a hard training day or I do a long run, I need that nap. So if I can, I you know, it's almost like it's it's uh what is it called the assembly line? It's like uh it's much easier if you're doing the thing to get the thing done. You know, you batch it. Sorry, it's batch production. That's what it's called, batch production. And, you know, you might as well get all the sleep you need in the morning when you're sleeping at night in the morning than, you know, trying to fit in a nap when everything's going on. You got all this stuff going on. If you've got young kids, um, that might be a bit hard. So, yeah, totally with you on that. And you kind of like shined a light on that. I don't even think about it. One last thing on that subject, though. Studies have shown you can get too much sleep. You know, you do get the other people that just sleep all the time. So what I'd like to say is get your sleep in early. So for like for me, I was aiming for 12 hours, but I, I couldn't sleep past seven. I woke up and I was wide awake and I thought, oh, I want to get up and do things. I was ready to go. If you can wake up naturally in the morning without an alarm clock and get up and you're ready to go without thinking, oh, where's the kettle? I need that caffeine fix. You get up and you're ready, good to go. Then you had enough sleep. And if that is six, seven or eight, that's good for you. It's when people are doing the training, they're saying I'm surviving on six hours, five hours sleep. And actually it's the alarm clock that wakes them up. They smash the alarm clock. They get a couple of coffees inside them, a piece of toast, some carbohydrates, you know, get the sugar rush. Then they're they're good to go. That's not really good to go. It's can you just get up naturally? That's when you're good to go. And that's when you've discovered your level of sleep. Number eight, they go too hard on easy days. Oh, that's another big one of mine. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, a lot of people do far too much, you know, hard running on easy days. And a lot of them, I get messages, oh, I live in a hilly area. You know, if if I have to go that easy, I'll have to walk. Yeah, walk. The heart doesn't know if you're walking, running, cycling, swimming, you know, and skiing, whatever. It just knows how much it's working and for how long. So if the easy day is easy, and, and actually, I remember I just looked, saw an old picture, actually, of me and my son. We were out, ooh, anyway, last, last year in the mountains, and we went for an easy run. Uh, and it was a trail run. It was a bit steep than I thought. Uh, <laughs> we were both walking up this hill, uh, and it was meant to be a run. I was thinking, you know, there's no way I can run up this hill and be easy. So... It's pride that makes people want to run when they don't need to run. And it's pride that makes people run too fast. Oh, I think I can go a little quicker. Uh, And often they're on the street, they see people, they need to look good when they're jogging past people. But yeah, there's that. Also, there's that beginner. It it sounds rude to say beginner, but the novice runners approach that unless they're getting that (sighs) good workout feeling, they haven't done anything. Well, an easy run, you don't need that. You, You just enjoy the view try and get nice places to run enjoy where you're running and what you're doing and if you want to just drift and think about the world do so if there's a nice view to look at do that but don't feel you have to get that hard wow i really had a good workout feeling save that for the workout days the easy days finish feeling better fitter and stronger than before you start speaking of easy days i just had a 75 minute easy run yesterday and uh it was phenomenal. And it was just so nice to just run easy. And it was a, a beautiful, sunny, warm morning. Um, and it was just one of those, like, usually I have, you know, I have to do this and this and this, there's structure to it. I want to go sub threshold on this part. I'm going to go, you know, maximum aerobic here, more steady efforts on my long runs. Like I always try to mix up and I just said, I'm just gonna do whatever I want. And it was phenomenal. So I, I agree with Mike and, you know, I, I will say it. I've been running easy for like 10 years now and it's amazing. So if you're not running easy, try it. Another mistake people made, 
Number nine is they put off their recovery meal. Yeah, so again, this is another contentious one that people say, oh, it doesn't matter about this, that, and the other. But I, I mean, I go training, uh, and recently I've got into uh, taking these protein drinks that you can get in the convenience stores. So they're, they're very simple. It's a, it's a no-fat, uh, low-sugar, just protein drink, uh, milk-based drink. And I do feel really good after that. Uh, and the muscles are tired, uh, and they need rebuilding. Uh, and if I can get something in, initially studies, you say two hours, then they're down to 20 minutes. Uh, the point is, I still believe that as soon as it's realistically possible to get some nutrition in after a run, you're starting to rebuild the body again. And I don't care, you know, I'll, I'll argue this with anyone, because if you don't get any food, any, any basically put it simply, any carbohydrate or any protein in after the training, your body will have to cannibalize itself to try and recover, because it's got to get the energy from somewhere. So it's not coming in, it can't recover. There's no way it can recover and rebuild. So yeah, I always say that as soon as it's realistically possible, get something in. Ideally, I like whole foods and real foods, you know, rather than uh, pre, you know, packaged stuff. But if I've just been on like, you know, a, a long bike ride, and I'm in the middle of nowhere, and there's a convenience store, and the best thing I can get is a protein drink. Well, it's still better than waiting two or three hours till I get home to actually make myself, you know, a perfect uh, salad with with chicken, fish, or whatever on on top, and uh, and some potatoes, whatever. So uh, yeah, I uh, definitely recommend getting some in. I've got actually getting off the subject a little bit. We've just found it's it's been difficult in Japan to get raw ingredients, your natural bars. They're all really highly processed and highly packaged. But we've actually found now some lovely, you know, raw ingredients with with dates uh, and natural ingredients in packaged up. So they they're great. Just for me to have them in my bag, they'll last. And I just know that if I finish the session, I can just pull one out and start the recovery process straight away. That's awesome. And you've said it best, which is, uh, I saw in one of your posts, it was uh, when you train, you break down, you make yourself tired and you break everything down. I'm, and, then, and then you said rest and recovery is when you get better, right? I, I, I totally hacked that up. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, it, it's it's a good one, and I, we'll co we'll cover this many times in the podcast because I need people to learn it. That training makes you weaker. That's racing it. makes you weaker. So what you're doing is the body, it, it's lazy naturally. It just wants an easy life. It doesn't really want to do anything. But when you push hard, you break down the muscles, you break down the body, you know, and, and you build up lactic. You you cause you know the, you put stress and load on the body. So that's actually technically making you weaker. It's when you sleep and rest and recover, hydrate and get the nutrition in that the body then says, oh, if this jerk's going to go out every day and smash himself for 10K, you know what? I'm going to build up a few more enzymes, a few more muscles, make the mitochondria a little bit more, build, you know, make the aerobic pathways a little bit better, make it so he can't stress it so much. So it gets a bit stronger. And then you go out and do another 10K and the body goes, oh, Geez, he's doing it again. I'm going to get even bigger and stronger again. So what we do is running knocks you down and the recovery makes you you fitter. So that's why we have to rest up and ease up before a big race. Uh, and that's why you, uh, you don't do hard runs all the time. And, and people get it wrong. So they need to think the other way around, that the training is actually part of a good process, but without the recovery cycle, they're not going to go anywhere. Number 10 and last one. People should stop obsessing over numbers and what other people do and explain explain why they should 
Oh, well, my, my big gripe at the moment, it's not gripe actually, is on, on Garmin and smartwatches, it'll say things like detraining, overtraining, 12 hours rest needed. These are algorithms that they've put in to try and help, but they're not quite there. And people stress totally about, oh, is my, oh, my cadence was 171. You've told me it should be 180. I said, uh, you know, or oh, my cadence is, is 190. Is this too fast? Or my heart rate is 135 when I'm aiming for 133. I'm all about the bigger picture. Yes, we come up with models and set numbers and things that people are aiming for, but the body doesn't really know. And it's, it's different on different days. You In heat, you'll get heart rate drift where it might be 10 beats higher than normal. Uh, you might be feeling good, so it might be a little bit lower. It might be that you're running and you don't realize the wind's behind you for most of the run, so therefore you're going quicker than normal, so the heart rate will be lower. The, it, it could be that the, 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 the shoes you've got on are worn out. They're not as springy or you, you have your race shoes on. There's a million and one things that people don't take all the factors into account. What I like is just get out and do the training, have a rough idea. It goes back to the plan. Have a general plan of where you're going, but really don't stress. You know, if, if you have, you know, I had one person really worried because they'd had diarrhea and bloating on this run. I said, how often has this happened? Oh, just the ones. I said, well, yeah. That's it, just the ones. If it happens a few times, get to a doctor, get tested, see what's wrong. But we all have days where something goes wrong. I don't know what it is. We might never know the reason. But you have a, a rough day uh, and you just move on. Uh, if it happens a lot, then we've got to start looking for reasons. Uh, and then same with the running. When you're out there training, don't worry. If, if I say I want you running 320s for a kilometer, this is an elite runner, by the way, you know, 320s for your kilometer, for your per kilometer, and they're running 323s, it's there or thereabouts. There could be lots of factors. Uh, it's when I say I'd like you running 320s and they're coming in 420s. I say, hey, we need to take this a bit more seriously. There's something going wrong here. So, yeah, don't obsess too much. Just make sure you're enjoying it. And the stress, the final point on this, I think the stress will do you more harm than anything. You could be bang on the numbers, but stressing so much you do badly. You could be off on all the numbers, but not stressed and chilled and the body develops and gets stronger and you do better. So stress is the big killer in all of this. So don't stress about the numbers. Don't stress. Don't mentally stress. That's what we're going to wrap it up. So the, all right, so the top mistakes that you should never do as as a runner is one, ignore pain. Two, skip your warm-up cooldown. Three, never stretch. Four, expect a personal best or personal record in every race. Five, do not follow a training plan exactly. Six, don't start a race off too fast. Seven, not rest enough. Eight, go too hard on easy days. Nine, put off your recovery meals and recovery in general, but you need to get that food in within 30 minutes as soon as you can. And 10, obsess over numbers and what other people do. So stop obsessing and just let things go on autopilot and, and enjoy it because that's the whole point of this. You know, uh, Most of us probably aren't professionals, so um, especially people listening. <laughs> so it's more, you know, why are you doing this? You know, Are you doing it to make, make money so you can pay bills or are you doing it so that you can enjoy your life, right? Yeah, it's a hobby and hobbies are to be enjoyed. <laughs> Main set finished. Let's move into the cool down. All right, so this is the last section as we like to do here at Trees and D Lake podcast. And it is a question for the audience. So, most likely around the time we post this, um, sorry, we, uh, most likely around the time when we publish this podcast, we'll also post this on both our Instagrams and see what people think. There's no right or wrong answer. Sometimes there's a right answer, but we, we'll like to act like there's, you know, there's more of a subjective scale and, you know, a gray area. And the question for this episode is, should you wear your super shoes as much as possible 
or as little as possible. And a definition of super shoes would be uh, the Vapor Max, the uh, the Alpha Alpha Flies, sorry, Vapor Flies, Nike, um, the Endorphin, Saucony Endorphins. I know every brand almost has one, um, but it's those rocker shoes with that are crazy light that propel you forward, that cost a lot of money, that all the pros are wearing. Those are super shoes. So, um, Mike, what is your answer to that? So, first of all, never wear a new pair of shoes on race day. So. You know, I, I do get people say, hey, you're wearing those shoes in training. You shouldn't be wearing them. Save them for race day. Well, you've got to wear them in training to get used to them. They do act differently from regular shoes. They will change your running style. So I say initially, yes, you need to run in them to get used to them. The downside is, yeah, because they're, they're working a little bit harder than normal shoes, certain muscles might switch off. So I think that the downside is that you could get injured if you're running them too often. Uh, and I think we see people running them too often. So I'm on the middle. I'm right in the fence here that I wear them at the moment. I'm getting ready for Ironman. And uh, being the sort of person I am, I've got my Asics Metaspeed, my new balance fuel cell. I got my, my you know, my vapor flies, my alpha flies. I got my hawkers. I'm testing them all out. And so, yeah, I am using them a lot in training at the moment. Uh, and that's to test them out to see what is the most efficient for me over a marathon in an Ironman after I've ridden a bike, which is totally different from running a 5K. So, uh, yeah, I think you need to be sensible here. You need to use them a little bit. You need to get used to them. But if you use them every day, they have a limited lifespan. Uh, that uh, PBAX uh, material in there that's lovely, springy and squashy and responsive they reckon it, it only lasts about 250 kilometers and then it's gone. Uh, and then it's sort of all the cells in it have squashed together. So you're not getting the performance. So if you overuse them, they won't perform for you on race day. So you, I, you know, you, you need to be rich uh, if you're going to wear lots of shoes. <laughs> yeah. Or get, get sponsored or get them, uh, yeah. free from a lot of the, the shoe manufacturers. All right. I am, I'm, you know, not to be boring, I'm actually a bit more conservative than you are. I'd say to use them even less, and I only use them on my hard days. So I, and it's only actually on my my uh, my speed days. So I'd say that's usually Tuesdays for me. That's when I'm doing proper intervals, three, four, five minutes um, at a quite fast, you know, five k or faster pace. I wouldn't personally use them for sprints, uphill. Uh, sorry, for uphill sprints, hill sprints, and I wouldn't use them for tempo sessions. And I also wouldn't use them on the track. I'd actually use more like track flats, zero millimeter kind of, um, you know, I wouldn't use spikes. I'm not racing. But uh, yeah, I'd use more just super natural feeling light shoes on the track. And on the road, I'd get more of the super shoes. But again, I'm using them once a week. And then maybe for some, when you do a workout before race, race prediction, there we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if I'm doing like a race prediction and I'm trying to, you know, like dial in certain things, I don't have as many shoes as you. So I only have actually, I've got one and a half pairs of super shoes, but uh, they, they sit, they sit there and it's like, it's like the Ferrari that comes out or the, the really nice dining set that comes out, you know, when the, when the, 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 the really important guests come over for dinner. I use it like that and that works well for me. And I've got a couple other shoes that are more, I've got my tempo shoes and I've got, you know, like a lot of people, I've got my slow run shoes um, and all that. But yeah, I'd say I err on more of the side of, I want my, my feet to understand, hey, all this support and all this rocking and stuff is cool and it helps on race day, but 
like you need to go back to how you're supposed to run, which is technically barefoot on grass and you know dirt. Um, so yeah, that's that's my theory. Uh, no, but I, I agree with that. I mean, I'm talking about getting ready for for racing and things. Base base season winter. They're, they're, they're sitting in the cupboard all winter. They're not coming out. You know, I'm looking like, like you, I'm on the trails. I'm on as much natural running as I can find, you know, and, and that's what we're, we're designed to, to run on natural territory. What these shoes do is they help you run quickly in an unnatural world on, on concrete, which we weren't designed to, to run in. So that's, that's what they're designed for to make us go quicker in an unnatural environment with, I like running in a natural environment. One final thing on this generally I do like to vary shoes as much as possible. And that's contrary to what most people say, get a pair of shoes and stick with them. I, I like the fact that different shoes act differently. They use different muscle groups, force you to react differently. Therefore, your body becomes generally all around stronger. Uh, if we only have one pair of shoes, we're constantly pronating in a certain direction or supinating in one direction. Uh, and our muscles get strong in certain areas and weak in and others. You have imbalances. So yeah, I love to go on the beach and run barefoot. I love to run on grass barefoot sometimes. I love to run in a zero drop minimalist Newton shoe sometimes. Vibram, I walk on the beach. I then wear the big super shoes. I, I vary it as much as possible. And I just think this variety is the best way to produce an all round stronger physique and more injury resistant as well. Let's go. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Aaron So, AKA D Lake. Tips and tactics, you could train like a pro. This cast to help you run faster than you could go. All the PRs you could beat, of course, records that comes in your upcoming season. Right? Don't you agree? Endurance sports, a metaphor for life. That's that metaphor, baby. Eating clean so you can rest and sleep all night. Don't master a lot, don't master a little, just stay in the middle. Don't master all, don't master none. Just be a master of some. Is the health and fitness internet too much sometimes? Too many conflicting articles and videos that confuse you on how to train and eat right? Or you don't have time to just read and watch everything about, I don't know, the new trends on carb cycling for trail running. Don't worry, we'll take care of all that for you. Sign up for our free email newsletter, Three Thing Thursday. One, two, three. We'll put three perfectly curated and created things in your inbox for better living and training. Go to delaycreates.com slash TTT. We do the hard time-consuming work and scour the health and fitness internet's deepest and darkest corners. This is so that every Thursday, you have a piping hot new email with the latest and coolest tips, tricks, tools, tactics, and skills. All so that you can train and live consistently to do dope shit in your next endurance event. If you sign up now, you can receive my quick guide on how to get healthy, stay fit, and use data to create habits that last a lifetime. That's delatecreates.com slash TTT to be inspired and motivated on the regular. Time. Time is a resource no one can make more of, so we appreciate you taking precious time out of your day to listen this far. Our goal is to show the world how to live better through running, cycling, and triathlon. The episode and many others have a transcription. Go to the show notes description to find out more. This was produced in Sydney, Australia, and I'd like to acknowledge the Gadigal of the Eora Nation, who are the traditional custodians of this land. I pay my respects to the elders, past, present, and future. I recognize their continuing connection to the land, waters, and culture. These lands were stolen and sovereignty was never ceded. If you like this episode, again, we'd highly appreciate it if you go on whatever app you listen to and make sure to follow Delay Creates Podcast. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon, Acast, and a bunch of others. And if you're feeling real loose, 
a rating, review, or share of this episode to anyone you know that would be into something like this would be amazing. If you have any questions, concerns, suggestions for the episode, or hell, you want to be on the show, hit us up. The best way is to email talk, T-A-L-K, at dlakecreates.com. We're also on the socials, mainly Instagram. You can hit up Mike Trees at the letters R-U-N.N-R-G. Or you can hit me up on Instagram at dlakecreates.com. Or just wherever you can find us is fine. If you need any transcripts, you're into podcasting, or let's say you just are big into accessibility, please use the company that we use, SpeechDocs. You can check them out at speechdocs.com. Don't worry if you didn't get all that. There's a link in the show notes description. Thank you again so much for listening. Peace.